you know, she looked me in the eyes and told me that woman, being a woman was a feeling. And I said, well, you know, having brown eyes isn't a feeling. Having two legs isn't a feeling. These are biological realities. These are states of being. But, you know, it's hard when someone's captured by an ideology. It's really hard to have a rational conversation. Uh, but that inspired, well, uh, losing my job and, and that question being asked of my children uh, inspired me to start speaking out. Women are currently being erased in culture, and I want to amplify their voices and share their stories. Hello, everybody, and welcome to This is a Woman podcast. I am so excited for you guys to hear today's episode. I have Ali Snyder here with me. She's a wife. She's a mom of two. She's hiding for women's rights and parents' rights, like up here in Davis, California, one of the craziest, hardest places to be fighting for all of that. She spoke out on this for the first time ever in October of 2022 at Kelly J. Keene's Let Women Speak event in San Francisco. And since then, she has been talking at school board meetings. She has not only been at school board meetings, though, she has been testifying here at the California State Capitol. She has been reading pornographic books to legislators to show them how awful the material is that is in children's schools. This, I'm so grateful to know Allie, and she is just on top of everything going on with the gender ideology issue. So I'm so excited to have you guys all here for her today. We have a great conversation we are going to dive into as a parent, how to teach your child the best about everything going on with the gender ideology and confusion, how to prepare yourself to talk at school boards, where this gender ideology is really stemming from, some of the main things it's stemming from. And it's just a great conversation. I'm so excited for you all to listen to it. I know it's going to be so informational. And don't worry, we're going to have her on again sometime in the near future because there's so much to talk about on this issue. But on that note, well, hello, Allie, and we are so grateful to have you on the podcast today. I'm really grateful to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Of course. And so I already told the, the listeners just a quick little brief statement about who you are and how you have just been killing it for truth, whether it's at the state capitol or in your local community. But I just wanted, you know, I think a lot of these people have seen videos of you on social media testifying or things like that. But I wanted um, people to really be able to hear about why you're doing what you're doing. Well, thank you for giving me an opportunity to do that. I appreciate it. Yeah, I have you know, been aware of the concept uh, around trans transgenderism and kind of gender ideology for a while now, but I really became active speaking about it uh, last fall. And I really, uh, so I, I credit Kelly J. Keene. I'm not sure if you're familiar with who she is, but uh, I watched an interview with her on the podcast Trigonometry several years ago, and listening to her speak clearly, plainly, it felt like a weight was lifted off my shoulders. It felt like all of these things that had concerned me about the direction that things were going and how I felt that people were actually being harmed by trying to live a trying to live a lie listening to her explain it again it just felt like a like a weight was lifted off my shoulders and it really gave me courage to speak the truth not my truth the truth <laughs> out loud with people and uh and then there were a series of events that happened last year that led to me really coming out and speaking publicly. And I'm grateful for that because when you finally can speak the truth uh, out loud, 
with confidence. <laughs> it's just so liberating. So. Perfect. And, you know, being here in California and even in the community you live in, it's not a super friendly community necessarily to speaking out against transgender ideology. So how or why did you choose to just go for it? And what have been the results of doing that? Well, it really, the ideology really began uh, impacting my life in a couple key ways. So now I know that it was actually impacting my life long before I really recognized it, <laughs> but it really became in impossible to ignore um, when it came to my children and how it was affecting them and also when it came to my work. And so I was working at a job I loved with a company that I loved, and I was quite concerned about the direction that the company was going. And I say that very carefully because I still love this company, and I recognize that it's really, uh, I recognize the blame lies with the state mm -hmm. and with the legislators because this company is really put in between a rock and a hard place. I mean, they have the livelihoods of thousands of people resting on their ability to navigate California employment law, which is totally bonkers right now <laughs> with the recognition of so-called gender identity presentation and expression as somehow a protected class or characteristics. So I attempted to uh, raise awareness with the, uh, the, the people in charge of uh, my company and try to let them know about some of the dangers that are downstream of promotion of gender ideology and that it really leads to human rights violations in several key ways. So uh, the sterilization and uh, mutilation of children and vulnerable adults for profit and the erosion of women's rights to uh, single sex spaces, the safety, the privacy, the dignity that single sex spaces provides. And then the trampling of our fundamental rights in terms of freedom of speech and freedom of belief, freedom of religion. Uh, so I tried to raise awareness about that and it was fairly well received, but um, you know, no, no obvious changes, which I wasn't really expecting um, at the time. But I just, like I said, I just really wanted to warn them. And then, I was uh, cautioned by my HR department because I had uh, two stickers on my water bottle. So one sticker was what I got on my shirt, which is Kelly J. Keene's uh, Be the Billboard campaign, just the dictionary definition of woman. And the other sticker was also from Kelly J. Keene, uh, which is Feminist. So not feminist, but feminist, and the definition of that is the defender of rights of biological females. So I was called into HR and cautioned that if I had these stickers on my water bottle as an intentional act of disrespect because I was working with someone currently in transition, that it would be a violation of the company's policy of respect. And my response to that was, well, it's not an intentional act of disrespect. It's a celebration of my identity as a member of a protected class based on my biological sex. And I'm proud to be a woman. Not that I had anything to do with it. I was just born this way. <laughs> but, I'm, but I like being a woman. You know, I feel really badly for people who don't like being a woman, but it is what it is. So I'm proud to be a woman, and I'm proud to defend the rights that are for 
mothers fought so hard for to to achieve for us. So the response when I made that statement was, well, imagine if it was a racist statement. And it's like, well, we could imagine a whole lot of things. <laughs> but, I, you know, again, that's kind of why we're in the mess that we're in, is we're living in this, you know, people are trying to live in this imaginary world. So uh, I, I pointed out that I felt like this was hugely uh, uh, hypocritical because nobody in the company would have been asked to take down a, a transgender pride sticker off their water bottle. Um, so why on earth am I not able to celebrate my identity? But I agreed to not bring my water bottle to work anymore. So I brought a different water bottle that just says, I love free speech, which again is a fantastic sticker offered by Kelly J. That's amazing. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so that happened. And then I was uh, subsequently let go from my job, not necessarily from that particular conversation, but I was let go from my job. And I was told that um, my comments around the issue made someone feel hurt, sad, and uncomfortable. Probably multiple people were uh, uncomfortable with what I was saying. So they offered to let me keep my job. Um, I would have been taken out of a position of trust, but I would have still had a very secure job. But uh, it was uh, with the understanding that I would stop speaking about these issues. And again, because I feel that this is leading directly to human rights violations, I can't in good conscience stay silent about this. And I always go back to that incredible quote from Dr. Martin Luther King's letter from a Birmingham jail where he says, we have a moral obligation to disobey unjust laws. So these mandates from our government and frankly, every single institution in our society right now are unjust. They're fundamentally uh, morally wrong, evil, <laughs> frankly. So I'm not going to be quiet about it, and I'm going to fight all of this with everything I can. So another area that impacted my life, which I alluded to earlier, is how it was affecting my children. And so I have, my boys are now 13 and 11, but last year when they had their first day of school, they were asked by multiple teachers on getting to know you questionnaires for their preferred pronouns. And so that resulted in immediate conversations with principals and the teachers uh, where I made it explicitly clear that that is an unacceptable question because it forces a child to consider the possibility that they may have been born in the wrong body, which is not possible uh, and totally wildly inappropriate for schools to be planting in the seeds of our children. It's minds, children's minds. <laughs> Planting seeds in our kids' minds. <laughs> so I had some really interesting conversations with educators in this town over that issue. Very, very interesting. And I definitely have spoken to some what I would call true believers or zealots, people I feel like have really been captured by the cult and are really trying to push it on kids. Um, I had a conversation with one of the teachers uh, where, you know, she looked me in the eyes and told me that woman, being a woman, was a feeling. And I said, well, you know, having brown eyes isn't a feeling. Having two legs isn't a feeling. These are biological realities. These are states of being. But you know, it's hard when someone's captured by an ideology. It's really hard to have a rational conversation. Uh, but that inspired, well, uh, losing my job and, and that question being asked of my children uh, inspired me to start speaking out. And then I had an amazing opportunity because Kelly J uh, came to the States 
and she did a, a tour of the U.S. and she hosted her Let Women Speak events all across our nation. And I don't know if you are you familiar with her Let Women Speak events. I am, but could you um, share just a little bit about it so those that are listening that might not be familiar? Yeah, so it's uh, they're just incredible events. She she creates a space, a free speech platform for women to come and speak. Any any woman could come and speak, and talk about really whatever they want, but primarily uh, women share about how this ideology is impacting their lives. And it's an incredibly powerful uh, thing that she and the women around her have created because women share amazing stories and their stories are heartbreaking, but also stories of, of strength and resilience. And it's, uh, again, anybody can come. So it's not like there are, you know, speakers. Um, you know, some of these women have never spoken publicly before. Like, um, So anyway, she came in San Francisco, uh, she came to San Francisco in October. And you'll appreciate this because uh, she hosted the event in front of Senator Scott Weiner's Drag Queens Pumpkin Carving Contest for Kids oh, that he had as, his, <laughs> as one of his campaign events. So we were on the sidewalk in front of the park where he was having his event. And um, you need to, everybody needs to go back and find on YouTube the very short video of Kelly J. Keene chasing Senator Scott Weiner down the street at the end of his event. <laughs> She's this little, this petite, five foot one uh, blonde chasing him down the street and asking him why he thinks it's okay to have convicted rapists in women's prisons and why he thinks it's okay for children to be sterilized. And it's, it's a great video. I digress. Uh, that was really my first public speaking event, and it was wonderful to be able to say these things out loud. And she broadcasts all these over YouTube, so you can see all of these events. And that really kind of opened the floodgates for me. So that was October, and then November, I spoke at our school board meeting. And I think that that video went viral so it's uh it was an interesting interesting night i picked a night where all the teachers were going to be at the school board meeting because they were in contract negotiations <laughs> so <laughs> i was in a very hostile room but it it worked because uh got a lot of uh, attention uh, yeah, and then uh, I, from there, I started meeting more people here locally who uh, were pushing back, and I got to meet Erin Friday of Our Duty, and then she's been, you know, showing me the ropes at the Capitol, and that's how I met you and all the incredible work you're doing with the California Family, uh, uh, Cal uh, California Family Council, <laughs> and getting that opportunity to testify and read porn to senators and assembly members, which I never expected I'd be able to do someday. Yes. And for those of you that are listening, if you haven't seen, we've now kind of seen it start to happen at school boards across the state, but there's these pornographic books that are in elementary schools, junior highs, high schools. And the thing is, is everyone keeps saying, oh, well, you're directly targeting the LGBTQ community. And it's, no, we don't want any kind of pornographic material, whether it's heterosexual, homosexual, none of it in schools. And so, you know, people have been reading some of these books at school board meetings, but Allie came to the Capitol and read it to these legislators. And let me tell you, I, I did think about playing a clip on here, but I know I have some younger girls listening. So I thought I'll just okay. tell people to visit YouTube to check it out on their own. But she came to the Capitol and there's been some bills that are targeting school boards and just all these different things. And 
calling people that don't want these uh, leg or senator called um, or assembly member Corey Jackson. He called these people that don't want pornographic books in public schools, white Christian supremacists and all these things. So Allie showed up to read some of these pornographic books and watching that happen, you know, everyone in the room feels uncomfortable. The legislators feel uncomfortable and the point's so proven right there. If you adults are sitting here hearing these pornographic books and you're feeling uncomfortable, why are these in children's schools? It just yeah. doesn't make sense. And so I'm just so thankful you've been doing that, Allie, and bringing light to what is happening and or shining a light on what is happening. Yeah. Well, I, that has been happening at school board members. I know Stacey Langton in Virginia, I think she was one of the first to do it. And there've been some amazing other brave parents uh, all around the nation doing it at school boards. Uh, so, you know, that, that, that uh, trail has been blazed as it needed to be. But I was, uh, I'm, I'm very honored that I got to, to walk that path as well. <laughs> Again, not something I ever expected, but, and to touch on one of the points you made, you know, the, the book specifically that I read is called This Book is Gay. And it was in, it's in the junior high that my son was in. Uh, and so it's available to 12 year olds. And uh, my son saw it in the library, not on a shelf, but proudly displayed. And, and I've said this in my testimony, and I'll say it again, that book has nothing to do with being gay and everything to do with grooming children to make them accessible to adults. So I'm glad you mentioned that we have some younger ladies who might be tuning in. Thank you, because <laughs> I, I also won't get too graphic. But one of the things that that book says is uh, it's, it describes an explicit act, an explicit sexual act, and it says one of the most important things a, a young gay person needs to know how to do is dot, dot, dot. And that is so awful and insidious and sad because it doesn't matter what your sexuality is. The most important thing that you will need to learn to do doesn't have anything to do with sex, mm -hmm. right? There's a lot of important things that need to come <laughs> that are, will always be a priority over that. You know, learning how to be a good person, mm -hmm. learning how to, to provide service to others, learning how to, to be how to speak truth uh, with yourself first and foremost <laughs> and you know then there's like reading writing and math yeah. <laughs> science those are important too yeah. life skills that you can use to you know support yourself someday and maybe a future family but to plant the seed and to pretend that that um that gay and lesbian people you know, that, that that's really, really important. Well, the sexuality is just a part of you. It's not who you are. Uh, it's not your identity. Um, so, and one of the things that distresses me the most about this uh, quasi-religious cult is that it's the damage that it's doing to future generations of homosexuals. Because in general, uh, homosexuals were the kids who were more gender nonconforming, right? And those are the ones who are really being swept up by this ideology. So it's no longer a question of telling a little boy who likes more effeminate things or, you know, quote unquote, girly things that, hey, you know what, it's okay. You can be a boy and like whatever you like. Now it's, well, if you like certain things, you might actually be born in the wrong body and you should take drugs and you should uh, uh, have radical surgical procedures and you should try to kill your former identity, right? 
Don't let anybody dead name you. Right? All of this, all of this just really disgusting um, stuff. So it's really doing damage. And, you know, when you have a book that's entitled This Book is Gay, it's easy for these uh, crooked politicians and bad actors to say, well, anybody who opposes this book is clearly opposing gay people because look at the title. But it's like they say, you, know, you can't judge a book by the title. And that book has nothing to do with being gay. And so. I think you make such an important point when you said the book talks about the most important thing that a gay person can do. And it goes into these sexual acts and things that, mm -hmm. first of all, a child shouldn't even be learning or reading about. Second of all, that just puts, I mean, I think... For myself, if I was a 13-year-old girl and I was reading a book and it told me the most important thing I can do and then it talks about like sexual acts to make a man feel good or things like that, that's going to change your entire view of what sex is, first of all. And second of all, now these 13-year-old girls and 13-year-old boys, if they're telling them that this is your most important thing about you, I mean... Mm -hmm you're going to just spend your life trying to figure out how you can please other people sexually. And you're going to spend your life like that is a, you nailed it on the head when you said there's so many things that come before that. And yeah. I mean, especially for young girls, I mean, at 13 mm -hmm. years old, to 14 years old, you are comparing the way your body looks because there are some girls that have been developed for quite a few years. There are some girls that haven't really gone through a puberty as far as they mm -hmm. have you're comparing your body so much and now you're being told that your sexuality is the most important part of you and what sexual acts you can perform. And now you're thinking, well, I don't look like this girl. I mean, I just see, you're seeing especially a lot of girls being affected by the trans ideology right now. And so if, well, I'm not, you know, I haven't developed as much as this other girl has. And that's the most important part of being a girl apparently is to look sexy and be developed and all these things maybe I should be a boy because I'm not developed like that. And they start going on this whole transition. Yeah, absolutely. That is 100% what is happening with so many of the young girls getting uh, wrapped up in this because our culture has become hypersexualized. And if you look at the role models for, you know, or the, the women that are kind of celebrated, in our culture, they are hyper sexualized, right? If we go back to movies from the 80s and 90s, yeah, there were attractive women actresses, of course, and you know, beautiful Hollywood starlets have always been around because we as humans do appreciate beauty. And but there's a huge difference between most of the actresses that you see if you look at movies at, you know i mean okay ghostbusters is one of my favorite movies <laughs> and sigourney weaver is a beautiful stunning woman uh but sigourney weaver looks nothing like uh some of the the women in today's hollywood movies right um you know, like a Megan Fox, you know, yeah. I think, I think the, the, the ugliness of someone's personhood kind of shows through. But anyway, I digress. Um, so the example that young women have these days for how to be uh, a woman, um, so many of us will never, ever achieve that. I mean, very, very few of us without surgical alteration, frankly, or starving ourselves or whatever other airbrushing techniques we can use. And so girls see that and they're just like, well, I'm never going to be that. And also, I don't want to be that. You know, as we start to go through puberty, puberty is a universally uncomfortable experience for human beings, uh, particularly for girls, though, because our bodies start doing all sorts of things. <laughs> that are uh, <laughs> gross and all of a sudden we develop in a, such a way that we get all this attention, a very different attention from uh, boys and men. And it's really scary and intimidating for girls in particular. And 
So this is being offered as like an out. Well, I'm really uncomfortable with my body. I don't want to have to deal with periods. I don't want uh, men and boys to be looking at my breasts. Uh, I don't have to because I can be a boy now. I can have my breasts removed. I can take testosterone, which will stop my periods. And I can be celebrated for it at the same time because I'll be stunning and brave. And uh, it's, it's awful. It's really awful. And uh, a lot of our problems right now, particularly with gender ideology, but overall in society, I think, have to do with porn. It comes back to porn. And uh, it's driving kids into gender ideology for different reasons. So uh, girls, like I said, we've already discussed that. But for young boys, too, um, it is creating uh, autogynephilia. So again, I, I don't know how far into that you want to go because we have some young people listening, but it is, it is good to understand what some of these things are. So um, that is a, a fetish. It's very dangerous. And um, it's really increasing in prevalence with uh, online porn. So yeah, and like you said, porn really is like the, the one of the major causes that we're seeing lead to all of this because, I mean, there's been stats out for years showing how being introduced to sex and porn and all these things at a young age is extremely harmful for both boys and girls. And so yeah. it started with, okay, so just make sure your kid isn't getting access to pornographic magazines. Now it's... Mm -hmm can't even let your child have a phone because they have access to it at their fingertips. But now we've turned mm -hmm. into, you can't even let your child go to their school library because they have access to it at school. And so it's like everyone, I mean, whether you are agreeing with all this gender ideology and have fallen for it, you should still be able to see the negative effects porn pornography has on children yes. and be able yes. to stand against it. But they're, completely disregarding all the other negative effects and I think because some of them are clueless but it might even be some of them know that that helps push the ideology in the children yeah well there's definitely bad actors pushing it for sure and and again to your point it it's everywhere now it's everywhere it's so mainstream that we don't even recognize porn anymore sometimes like I mean, we go back to, and there's really nothing political about saying it's wrong to sterilize children or, or convince anybody it's possible to be born in the wrong body. That's not a political statement. So, you know, I, I am going to mention um, a bit of politics right now, but that's not to, it's just to highlight something, you know, Biden in the run up to the last election, he had Cardi B on, right? Interviewed Cardi B. And that goes back to what we were saying is like the most important skill you'll learn, right? What is the message there? What really is the message there? Cardi B was given a, an audience with the future potential president of the free world because of what? Was it because of her scientific achievements? Was it because of her brilliant mind? You know, was it, you know, no, it was because of uh, it was because she looked a certain way, and not from any achievement that she had made. So again, that's the message that is so prevalent in our culture right now, and it's really being pushed on all of us to the point where we don't even recognize how hypersexualized we've become. 100%. I mean, like I said, back in the day, it was like, you used to have to go get a magazine of like yeah. bad stuff. And then it's and that was put behind a special screen, you couldn't even see it. Uh, yeah. yeah. And then now again, it just it's you have access to it on your phone. But I mean, yeah. I think about even just current day, like movies and TV, you know, I'm watching a TV show. 
and all of a sudden there's like this extremely hypersexualized scene and I'm like, oh, let's fast forward through that or turn off the show. But when a child is watching that if a, or if a teenager is watching that, their mind doesn't even think this is porn because that's what it is at that point. There are some TV shows where there is just porn on the TV show and it's just, oh no, it was just a sex scene in the show. It was a sex scene in the movie and that's, we're so, it's so normalized nowadays. It's not even like, why was just, why was there just a complete porn scene in this movie? But it's just, right. oh, that's just a sex scene. Those happen all the time in movies. It is. Yeah. And so <laughs> it's, it's fascinating to me, the people who support this and who promote it. So one of the events that my friends and I hosted at our uh, Davis Library recently uh, was in May, and we it was a book curation for child safeguarding. And that is where we, uh, my friends and I, determined some of the books that we found particularly concerning, and we learned exactly what libraries they were in in our schools and, and in our and in our county library, and we learned where they were being offered, like, was this in the young adult section, or where was this, right? And so that was actually the first time that I read um, my new favorite book, This Book is Gay, uh, <laughs> in public. Uh, and as I was reading some of the same passages that I've read to in the legislator, um, to the legislators, people clapped. Some of the people who were there at our event in this public, you know, discussion that we offered were clapping and cheering and saying, I'm so glad that kids now have access to this informational stuff because I wish I had that when I was a child. It was really, really shocking to me how, how, uh, removed from basic common sense child safeguarding people have become some people have become well and to touch on that it's you know we've always been a polarized nation I think now we're seeing it more than ever but we've all that's what America is you get to have different opinions and viewpoints and we get to talk about them but I think we were once at a time where say if I think one thing and you think the other we can talk about those things, but maybe it goes too far one way and we can both agree. Like I could say, you know what? I still agree with this, but you're right. This part right here, it's, it's gone too far in this area. So yeah. I'm still going to stand my grounds on what I believe, but we can both state that's wrong. And that's right. what should be happening here. They should be able to say, yeah. you know what? You think that a child can't ch change their gender. I think they can't. But we both agree that teaching a 13-year-old these extremely horrible sexual acts that most adults don't even know about should be banned, shouldn't be allowed. And they're so stuck on it's their way or the highway. And if you counter it, then they must support it is, I think, where we've gotten. Yes, absolutely. 100, 100%. And that really was reflected in that uh uh, Senate hearing with Assemblymember Cory Jackson when he simply could not say that that book was not appropriate to be in a school with 12 year olds. And it's so clearly inappropriate. <laughs> the, the only way you could possibly say it isn't is if you are captured by something, whether you're captured by an ideology or you're captured by your own desire for power or you're captured by the people who might be giving you money. <sighs> you know, I can't speculate as to what those things might be in his particular instance, but you have to be captured by something for you to not be able to recognize that children need to be, um, that there are boundaries that should not be crossed with children. And so... so I didn't even realize how quickly you got involved into this. Just from when we met and hearing you talk, I'm all, she's been doing this for years. She's a pro. She knows it all. But I mean, it just kind of just got plugged into this last year and just like took off yeah. with it on how to speak out against it, how to tell people and inform people. So 
You mentioned your event you did at the library with some friends back in May, and you've done a couple more. And can you maybe for, I know there's also a lot of um, parents listening to this and they're upset with everything that's going on, whether they're down in Southern California, here in Northern California, wherever they're at, they're, they're upset. They have all this information. They're angry. They don't know what to do. Can you maybe explain um, how you can go about putting an event together or different ways you've done that and different things you've talked about so they can go do that in their community. Yeah, absolutely. So we have uh, utilized our public library to host some events. So we hosted a film screening in March of last year for the film, the documentary film Affirmation Generation. It was subsequently picked up by AMC, so it's been uh, renamed No Way Back. I highly recommend people take a look at that film. It follows the experiences of detransitioners, and it cites really high-quality studies, and it has uh, incredible experts that explain the medicalization and how this is really, what's really driving this is a gender medical industry that's preying on vulnerable kids and adults. Um, so we did a film screening that was uh, awesome. And then we did, uh, we hosted a real science night with Colin Wright, who's an evolutionary biologist. And the goal of that event was to kind of get back to the very basic uh, uh, true science and explain how humans are member are sexually dimorphic species like most organisms on the planet are <laughs> and that's a binary thing uh so that was that was great uh, and then uh speaking at school boards is is really important uh exercising that first amendment right to speak in public at a school board uh if you're going to um, a school board, some of the things that I've learned that are helpful, I think it's good to go and observe your school board meetings first or watch how they uh, take place online. They're all, uh, they're all available through public uh, media and whatnot, so you can see. I'm about to have a, an assistant. <laughs> in this conversation who couldn't normally care less about what I'm doing, but of course she wants to be involved. So for those of you I'm that are listening only, her cat just came on. It was the cutest little cat. So if you're only listening, go watch on YouTube so you can see. <laughs> Hopefully she'll find something else to do, but um, uh, okay, so go go to your school board meeting and, and observe it first. Uh, if you're not comfortable speaking in public, I think it's really, uh, there are some things that I think are important to do. So um, first and foremost, learn what the expectations are of where you're going to be speaking. So know what your time limit might be. Uh, know where you're going to be standing. Uh, so you can visualize yourself there when you're in front of a, a crowd of people. Uh, again, understand your time limit. Our school board generally only lets us speak for 90 seconds. <laughs> so if you go back, if you go, yeah, I have all of my school board testimonies uh, pinned on my on my. Uh, Twitter account. So it's my pinned tweet is a, is a thread. Um, and you can see they're all 90 seconds. So it's real, real easy to go, go through them quickly. But uh, so once you know how much time you're going to have, then you can actually, you know, craft what, what you're going to say, or at least this is what I do, right? Then I write my speech. And then I, uh, I practice it and I time myself. And then I trim all the fat. Again, I only have 90 seconds. So I trim all the fat. And then you practice in front of somebody. Because it's very different when you're just saying something out loud by yourself or when you're just saying it in your head. Uh, it's very different than when you're actually saying it in front of somebody. 
because we get so much of our communication through uh, our body, just body cues, right? And so when you're speaking and you can see if somebody's engaging and understanding or if they're just kind of starting to zone out, <laughs> that can really that can really inform you. And also for people who are nervous about speaking publicly, it helps get those jitters out to do it in front of a live live audience. So those are some of the tips that I would give to somebody who's going to be speaking in that sort of a public forum. And then uh, I think two of the most important things that any parent can do. Um, one of them is just, just speak to everybody. Talk about this with people. Don't be afraid to bring it up. And you need to speak to your children's teachers. They need to know from you what the expectation is that you expect them to safeguard their child's innocence, their childhood, and uh, that you do not participate in this ideology, right? Um, make sure they understand what your expectations are and do your best to find out where they stand on the matter and what they may or may not allow in their classroom. And they won't necessarily tell you because there's a real concerted effort to keep a lot of this secret. So have face-to-face -face conversations with your kids' teachers. Meet with the principals. And if you do feel like they are hiding aspects of the curriculum from you, then use your Freedom of Information Act request. File requests and find out exactly what they're teaching. And the absolute most important thing you can do as a parent is have these conversations with your children. Do it frequently and do it first. So when I say do it first, you know, in a lot of ways, we would like to avoid having this conversation with our kids, especially the really little kids because we know how important it is to preserve their innocence and to try to preserve their childhood for as long as possible. But the reality is other people are talking to your children about this already. So they need to hear it from you first. And that doesn't mean you have to get into the nitty gritty, right? You still keep it age appropriate. But I would ask your children, even if they're very young, what their understanding is of biology. Ask them, you know, do you think it's possible to be born in the wrong body? Or, you know, we don't think it's possible to be born in the wrong body, right? Make sure they have basic understanding of, of biology. Um, you know, what is a rooster? What is a hen? How are they different? How are human beings like roosters and hens, right? How, how does, uh, how does this work when you're a member of a sexually dimorphic species? So, you know, keep it age appropriate, but have these conversations often. And help your kids practice how to navigate these conversations. So my boys and I um, practice what to do if someone asks for your pronouns. So we have a couple responses that we practice. Uh, one is that uh, we don't follow that practice in our home. And then my favorite is actually, I'm not going to tell you how to talk about me. Uh, I, ref you know, if I'm speaking to an adult, I'll say it. I refuse to compel your speech. Because that really reinforces the idea that it's not okay to compel somebody else's speech. <laughs> And, and, and by extension, I won't let you compel mine. So, you know, before I was let go from my former employer, uh, we did have a, we were on a meeting, we were in a Zoom meeting, and the person who was leading the meeting uh, asked us all to introduce ourselves uh, and give our preferred pronouns. And when it came to be my turn, I just said, you know, I don't, I don't do that, so you, you all can use whatever pronouns you want for me, right? So we practice that with my boys and I. You know, I give them pop quizzes. 
And I give them a soft toy. <laughs> if I could get like every parent to just be able to like sit here and listen to everything you had to say right now, it's just like so great because first when you said, make sure you to talk to your kids first. I think that's so key. And unfortunately talking to your kids first, it doesn't mean when they're 14 or 13 anymore. It means you do have to, how you use, like use the animal explanation, use different things to say, that's how we know the differences because kids are getting it shoved down their throats in like kindergarten, mm-hmm. not preschool, they're getting yeah. their ideology pushed yeah. on. And then yeah. for all parents listening right now, just really the importance of Ali, how you said, talk to them often. Mm-hmm. That's so important because if you talk to them one time about this, that's not enough because they're going to be getting talked to about every day, whether it's from their teacher or on social media or from their friends. I also think the more often you as a parent talk to your child and make them comfortable to talk to you about the stuff, then if something happens at school or their teacher says something, I think they're going to feel a lot more comfortable to come to you and tell you this is what happened today or just Absolutely. thinking it's, they might even just tell you that because it's just normal conversation. You guys have open conversations about that, not exactly. thinking it's a big deal, but now it's on your right. radar to know Absolutely. how to handle this. Well, yeah. and that's why both my boys came home from the first day of school and they said, Mom, they asked us for our pronouns. <laughs> and so that is right there is exactly what you were saying. That's exactly what happened. They were able to tell me what was going on at school because we had uh, already discussed this this subject. And we learn via repetition. So that's, again, why you have to have the conversation often with them. And um, I, and again, to your point, too, they're going to get it not just from school. They'll get it from their peers. They get it from TV shows. I mean, every single major institution throughout the Western world is pushing one agenda right now. And that's why it's so obvious that this is not some sort of human rights movement, Mm -hmm. at least not in the way they say it is. (laughs) It is a human rights movement in the fact that we have to push back against it. But uh, there's an incredible journalist. I don't know if you're familiar with her. All your listeners should look her up. Her name is Jennifer Billick. And she writes a, a blog called the 11th Hour Blog. If you could get her on your podcast, you would be blown away. But she follows the money and the money doesn't lie. And this is about money. And this is about transferring our reproductive capabilities to the techno medical sector. It's about deconstructing our sex. It's about erasing women in language and in law. And so that, again, so that we can transfer our reproductive capabilities to the techno-medical sector and really divorce ourselves from what it means to be human. So uh, kids and adults are inundated with this messaging. It's in corporate media. It's in entertainment. It's in the schools. It's in laws. It's uh, our government is pushing it. Uh, it's it's literally everywhere, and that's because billions of dollars has been pumped into every institution in our culture to try to make sure that this narrative sticks and that we all get indoctrinated with this. So. You have to hold the line with your kids for your kids. You have to be that buffer. You have to be the person that they trust because they know you speak the truth to them. You're not going to sugarcoat it. Again, you keep it age appropriate, but uh, you you have to be you have to be that for your kids. That's the only hope that they have. And then they can be that for their peers. So. My son, uh, one of the things that our district was an early adopter of, um, I think it was six years ago they started doing it. Uh, They started giving our kids in our district the California Healthy Kids and the Youth Truth Survey. And I think it's the second and third question on this confidential survey that they do not, they don't tell the parents that these are the questions on the survey. The parents are given one survey to take as parents, and then the kids are given a different survey to take, and it's all confidential. 
I think the second and third questions are, do you identify as non-binary? Like, do you identify as a, as a man, a woman, or non-binary? And then I think the third question is, do you identify as transgender? So they're planting, <laughs> it was so outrageous. Um, anyway, I opted my 12-year-old out of this survey because I happened to, to know it was bad news, but they still gave it to him because of an administrative error. And again, you know, my child is fairly inoculated against this because we've worked really hard to, to understand the issue together as a family. But the little boy who was sitting next to him did not know what any of this was. And so he asked my son, he's like, hey, uh, what does this mean? What's non-binary mean? And turns out my kid was the right kid to be sitting next to <laughs> because, because my son was able to lay it out for him. And this kid was like, what? That's awful. Like, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> but if he was sitting next to a child who hadn't had any of the, what I would call interventions, <laughs> inoculations, then maybe he wouldn't have gotten the truth. And that's exactly why they do this. This is by design. They plant these seeds of doubts in the kid's mind. They, they introduce them to these nonsensical made up terms and identities, this quasi-religion. Uh, uh, they introduce it to them and then the kids say, what is that? Mm -hmm. And then they explain it and that's how it starts. And that's why you have to be the first person. Uh, you have to explain it to them. And I love that you also not only explained it to your children, but then you said, when you're asked this, here are multiple ways to respond. Because I mean, as an adult, I, this is just as this is new to children, this whole ideology is equally new to adults because it's a new or upcoming thing. This. I mean, mm -hmm. it's slightly, it's slightly been happening here and there, but the past, I'd say five years is when it's just been up and coming. So it's kind of new for yeah. everyone. And so yeah. I think if you as an adult think, yeah, I don't really know how to respond to that off the top of my head. How is your child going to? And so yep. to be able to sit down and think, okay, here's the best responses and here's what I'm going to tell my child. And then also because mm -hmm. if it's a teacher talking to your child, a coach, uh, principal, they're going to think, can I even say, I don't know if I can say what I, uh, what I think because I just don't know. But if you as a parent have told your child, this is how you answer, they're going to feel more yeah. uncomfortable to say, I'm going to say this because if I get in trouble for it, I know my parents have my back, my parents talk. Right. And so right. I think that's so important. Yeah. It's a really, really contentious issue. It's a very difficult issue to discuss, again, because so often when you're talking to people, especially in the education system, because it's so captured, uh, when you're talking to people about it, in so many instances, you're speaking with a true believer. And then it becomes very heated and very personal, lots of personal attacks. And so... For, for people who are not as comfortable with confrontation or, you know, are not as confident giving pushback, you have to practice that. If you practice it, if you practice and you anticipate and you visualize saying it, you know, know what your position is ahead of time and come up with the way that you are most comfortable defending your position. Come up with the language that you are confident in expressing and practice it, visualize it, imagine yourself saying it, role play, right? And to your point, to, to push back against somebody in a position of authority when they're coming at you with this as, as a child, that's really difficult. So if you don't have practice, it, it, it's really, I would say, a very rare individual that would be willing to stand up and defend it. And, and that goes back again to making sure your kids know that you have their back. Mm -hmm. 
having these conversations with them frequently and making sure that they trust you because you have consistently told them the truth and you've been upfront with them and they know what your family's position is on these subjects, uh, that gives them the confidence too because then when somebody at the school, whether it's someone in a position of authority or if it's their peers, um, is trying to push this on them, again, they're going to come back and they'll tell you. And then they'll know that you've got their back and you're going to go straight to that school and you're going to have those conversations. And it's, it's just that I think that is the way to do it. I think that's the best way to protect your kids from this uh, is to give them the tools to defend themselves. I think Jordan Peterson says that, you know, the best way to protect your kids is to make sure that they're competent, right? Um, We, I think, have kind of gone in the wrong direction for the last couple of decades by trying to protect our kids by like wrapping them in a bubble, right? That kind of helicopter parenting where we're gonna try to keep everything bad and everything dangerous away from them. And that's a real problem because that's not the way the world works. Mm-hmm. And life is uh, going to break these children as soon as they don't have their parents around because they've, they've been raised to be very fragile uh, people. And so the best way to actually protect them is to make sure that they're competent mm-hmm. and that they know how to handle themselves in dangerous situations. And I think that this is a very intellectually, spiritually dangerous situation that we're all in right now because our kids are being compelled to lie. They're being compelled to lie. They're being told that if a girl says she's a boy, they have to call her he. And that, and if they don't, they will suffer consequences. Girls are being told that if a boy calls himself a girl, they have to welcome them into their locker rooms and change in front of them and with them. And the damage, it's inconceivable. If we allow an entire generation of children to be forced to compel to lie, if we compel them to lie, if we compel them to reject reality and divorce them from what it means to be human, we're done. <laughs> That's it. Game over. Well, and... exactly. Like you said, they're just, your, your children are being forced to cooperate with an ideology that they don't necessarily agree with. Again, going back to what we were talking about earlier about just, we have different viewpoints as a society. That's just the truth of where we're at. And you never before really this issue saw people saying, you have to cooperate and follow along with my ideology, like, or else you're in trouble. That's never really been seen before. It's not know, in our country. No, yeah. exactly. In fact, we've got other, <laughs> we've, <laughs> we've, we've lost a lot of, uh, a lot of brave men and women fighting against this in other countries. And now it's, it, it, I mean, there's a reason Jennifer Billet calls her blog the 11th hour blog because we are in the 11th hour and this has really crept up on us and it's, and, and, and we're not even just fighting this in our country. This is all over the Western world. So the fight is, is massive. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely the, the, the time is now, (laughs) the time has passed now, but uh, it's not too late, you know? We're going to, we're going to win. We're going to win. Uh, We have to. Yeah. And I was going to say on that note, I mean, I think we could sit here and talk for hours. So I'm going to have to have you back on as a guest again, because this is like great. I mean, I feel like I'm learning so much and I'm involved in this. I just know this is going to be so helpful for all the parents, kids, everyone that's listening in this that doesn't know what to do and isn't involved. So we're definitely going to have to have you on again, Allie, and talk about this. I would love that. I do want to touch on what you just, I want to kind of just wrap up with what you said right there, that 
we're like, this is it. We're going to win this fight, but we have to fight. And so I know there's a lot of people listening right now, whether they're parents or whether they're in high school or they're in college and they're thinking, I don't, I don't want to be hated for this. I don't want to be called like all these names. I'm scared to, what is your, just we'll wrap up with what is your advice to those people that are scared to take a stance on this? Well, I don't want to advise anyone to put themselves in any danger. So I'm just going to speak to my personal experiences. And a variety of things in my life have happened. (laughs) And I've noticed that the biggest mistakes I've ever made in my life were making decisions based on being afraid. Now, that's not to mean you should ignore your fear because you should listen. Like, I'm terrified right now of what will happen if we stay silent and we don't fight. That, that's a terrifying prospect. I actually really like being human and I like humans and I'd like for humanity to continue. <laughs> so, so, I mean, on one hand, I'm very motivated by fear, uh, but I can tell you, you know, I was afraid about losing my job. I was afraid about losing friends. But you have to figure out what what really what's really you should be afraid of, right? And jobs will come and go. Uh, friends will come and go. When you stand up and fight for what you know is right, when you defend the truth, and when you can speak the truth courageously, even if you're terrified of the consequences, you will get so much back to you. So much good will come to you. Uh, You will be liberated. The truth will set you free. So don't be afraid to speak it, but be strategic. (laughs) Oh, that's so good. Well, thank you so much, Allie, for being on here. I know this is going to be so great for everyone that's tuning in. And again, we'll have to have you back on here because we can sit here for hours and talk about all of this stuff. Um, but what is the best way you mentioned on Twitter and you have your thread and video. So what is the best way for people to find that your username and all that? Yeah. So I'm, that's the only social media platform I'm on. Uh, it's, uh, my handle is snide, not snarky, which is a a pun and a play on my last name. My last name is Snyder. So it's S N Y D E not snarky and uh so you can find me on twitter and i just want to thank you sophia because uh you are a very courageous young woman and very determined and i'm so grateful that uh that you've come into my life (laughs) and that we've been able to work together at the capitol and i really look forward to seeing all the wonderful things that you Uh, do because uh, you're doing really incredible work. So it's been an honor to talk to you and be on your podcast. Well, thank you so much, Allie. And I just, yeah, I'm so, even though it's this crazy stuff that has brought us to know each other, I'm so grateful for that and to be in this fight together. And for everyone tuning in, I'll put her Twitter username in the comments section and all that so you guys can all find it. But thank you so much for being on today, Allie. Thank you, Sophia.